welcome to The Big Deal, where we unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and much more. Subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player and don't forget to sign up to www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Big Deal. I'm Jack Hudson and joining me as always, AFL legend Warren Treadray. Treaders, how are you? J- Jack, how are you mate? Busy times. We've got free agency footy business going on. We've got Real Madrid just saying we've got enough millions and maybe a former <laughs> AFL coach is headed to become a CEO. There's plenty going on. There's a lot of stuff going on. You did mention trade period, free agency. It's uh, all starting and yeah, Tom Duda, straight from the get-go. We're talking the SA teams. He's the first to move. Um, what do you make of that? Well, I think it's ruthless business by the Crows, and I've been a, a, a critic of some of their early days where they you know, they threw Josh Jenkins a five-year deal and they just tried to lowball him to start with. It didn't work out well. They threw an extra year on Eddie Betts. They've had some um, drafting first-round picks that didn't work out, but I think this one was smart business. And I, know, I think it's ruthless business. I think you've got to be human in the elements, but I think they were looking, oh, my information says they were looking at maybe a four-plus play, or an option of one to make it a five-year deal with Duda before he went down. We know he went down with an e-reconstruction earlier in the season. Adelaide revised that back to a two-year deal. He's a restricted free agent, so he could always go to market and they could come back and match. But what's happened between the two grand final teams in Collingwood and also Brisbane, both teams are really keen on getting him. It works out that Brisbane, he chose Brisbane, uh, a four-year deal potentially with a trigger for a fifth-year uh, money in the high, mid to 600s to potentially up to 700 for you do, as we mentioned. And that has triggered a pick 19 compensation for the Adelaide Crows, which I think is amazing considering Adelaide revised their offer to him after his second knee reconstruction back to a two-year deal. So they effectively forced him out the door um, in a management stakes because they go, well, here's a guy that's played about 80 games in I think six or seven years of foot, seven years of footy. Um, and, the thing that works really well for Adelaide's case is Matthew Nix and his coaching group have been able to, to effectively with the likes of Mitch Hinge and a few of those players in defence, unearth the next batch or the next Tom Duday. So whilst he was out injured, the young guys in Adelaide's defence, really young defence, really stood up in making this decision quite comfortable to say, hey, if he moves on and not stays on our terms, then we've already got an able replacement. We'll free up salary cap budgeting that we've had for him. And in saying that, Duday gets paid too. So I think uh, Brisbane get what they want. He'll spend the first six months in rehab next year. Duday gets his payday of four years on really good money. Uh, and you know what could have been worse? Um, because when you do do a knee, it does take away from your value. So, mm. And I think Adelaide getting pick 19 compensation. No one knows the uh, secret herbs and spices from the AFL, but that's the same tr- uh, compensation that uh, the Hawthorne Footy Club got for Buddy Franklin leaving on nine years to Sydney. So... Um, I think Adelaide would be sitting there doing cartwheels going, hey, this one's come off for us. Yeah, not bad. And considering, like you said, previous list management deals that the Crows have done, this is probably the best one in recent years. So well done them. Speaking of uh, South Australian teams, our boys, Port Adelaide, Xavier Dersmer is uh, on the way out. He's asked to be traded to Essendon. Yeah, well, he's asked to be traded um, 
fluorescent enough to, I think you broke, mate, on the House of Footy website that uh, well, contacts of yours on your House of Footy website suggest that uh, Port Adelaide ushered him to the exit door. Um, this is disappointing for me because, you know, we drafted pick 18 uh, of the 2018 draft. We know that Chad Wingard left to go to Port, um, Hawthorne, left Port Adelaide, and all of a sudden Port Adelaide, with their drafting, where they finished and, and, and with that trade, ended up with Ryan Burton, three first-round picks, and they're able to get Zach Butters, who won Port Adelaide's best and fairest recently, uh, Connor Rosie, who won it last year, both for All-Australian, and Xavier Dersmer in that draft. Xavier Dersmer's, um has really been hit. Like, he, you look at where he's at you know, this year alone and even last year, has been in and out of the team. Some say form, others say injury. I think it's injury. He's way too courageous probably for the size of body He's got, he is a wingman and genuine wingman have come back in. You look at both teams in uh, Brisbane and Collingwood in the grand final, there's a genuine um, thirst for playing wingman who keep your wit because that's how you work around the press when you play footy. But he played the first seven games of this year, then hurt himself significantly and returned in round 18. So I wouldn't be throwing him out. Understandably, I understand why Port are pushing him out because, you know, he's asked to go to the Bombers. The Bombers think they can get his brother, who's a top 10 pick in the draft. That's their swing, their, their, their sell. Port Adelaide need draft capital. In the last 48 hours, they've traded their first round pick to Fremantle for two second round picks, one this year, one next year, a future pick. They're trying to get uh, Brandon Zerk Thatcher in from Essendon. They're trying to get Jordan Sweet in from the Bulldogs, and they want to get Radicalia in from Geelong. So I suspect Dersma is being offered up to effectively fix that problem, to get the capital so they can fix their defence, which was their weakness this year with injury, but also throughout the year before the injuries hit. Um, and, you know, with all these situations, uh, like when Wingard left Port Adelaide many years ago, some people said, there's crazy business. I like the business at the time. The business has worked out really well. They've got Butters, they've got Rosie, they've got Dersma, they've got um, Burton in. Uh, and it looks now Dersma's going to seek a better opportunity. So uh, I just don't like it. You know, I get it's business, but I would have given him another year because I reckon a fit Xavier Dersma, a confident Xavier Dersma, and I think the guy needs a bit of armour around him and a bit of love. Mm. But obviously, he's going to get that from Essen and not Port Adelaide. 100%. Yeah, it is disappointing to see that um, trio split up, sure. But yeah, um, speaking of the Bombers, uh, Ben Mackay has uh, moved across and um, kicked three compensation for North Melbourne. So the secret herbs and spices that you just spoke about, this is insane, isn't it? It's insane, but it's exactly what North Melbourne wanted because mm. you know, the the Bombers are keen. And you look at where Essendon were at this year. Zerk Thatcher was, you know, who wants to get to Port Adelaide. I think one of the stats that he's the, the worst ranked one-on-one winning defender in the comp, you know what I mean? But mm. the problem is he's not a key defender. He got forced to play on the big boys and he's not a big boy. He's a third tall defender. So they've clearly got some issues. You know, they've got Laverde down there. They need they needed a Ben Mackay type to build around. Um, Essendon certainly need that. They get their man. North Melbourne wanted their compensation. The deal is about 800 grand a year for a four or five year deal. I'd love if the AFL on another point actually released these free agency deals. I, I get that some players don't have that happen. It doesn't go public what they earn. But if you're mm. going to head into free agency, I think we need clarity. I think we need clarity. I think I think we need um, everything to be on the table so people can judge the deals. The, the secret so-called herbs and spices. Well, no, it needs to be a moving game. I'd love for it to be clarity. I'd love to people to open their books. And I think in particular, if you want to exercise free agency, maybe you get to a stage where that opens the door for people 
being mature to understand what people are earning. And then we do it for other players um, like they do in all uh, professional sports elsewhere. So, yeah, North are happy, mate. They're, they're going to have a war chest of first round picks, particularly also with their compensation they got from the AFL um, and draft concessions. Yeah, it definitely helps them if they uh, try and move up the draft to secure Harley Reid from the Eagles as well. Now, Clayton Oliver saga last week, that was uh, out of nowhere, wasn't it? What did you take of that? Well, it's out of nowhere to say that they were going to part with him. But mm. let's face it, who holds all the cards when you got a seven-year contract on about $7 million? Clayton mm. does. And I think that's why it's gone this way. Yeah, Melbourne can talk all they want about his unprofessionalism. Well, we all hear the stories, and it doesn't sound that he's doing absolutely everything in his best order to perform for the Melbourne Footy Club. Um, obviously, there was that period of time where he missed 10, 10 weeks in the middle part of the season. But this is a really interesting take, and this is where the human take can actually help you. They actually say that the Gorn family, you know, skipper Max Gorn and his mm. wife Jessica, and particularly his wife Jessica, um, is the reason why he's still at Melbourne, and that is clear. And all of us still at Melbourne, not why Max Gorn is still at Melbourne. The skipper is always <laughs> going to be there. But it's believed that the couple, um, you know, they announced in July that they're expecting their second child. They've got their son was born a month after the Demons won the 2021 grand final. And they've actually offered to take in Oliver for a short per, um, period of time, obviously, probably the preseason, get himself super fit. Um to help him meet some of the club's demands in terms of professionalism. So not only has, you know, and, and they're talking all sorts of stuff, how he's treating people, how he's speaking to people, how he's, you know, some of us mentioned the volunteers around the club a little bit. So it just sounds like he's lost his way. But for a, a wife of um, Max Gorn and his Jessica this, to offer to open up a, her house when she's already potentially got one little toddler running around the joint and then you another <laughs> one pregnant on the way, it's a fair show of leadership and a fair show of faith to help out a mate. And, you know, for him, her husband, to potentially fulfil his lifelong dream and to win another premiership, um, I think it's a, a great show of um, kindness. It's an incredible act of selflessness for the sake of their footy club and to help someone else out where you, you've got a grown man moving to your family to, to improve his professionalism. I think it's been great. And we've seen this times too at, at Hawthorne. It's happened in their, their dynasty with people who are off the tracks. They moved into senior places' house and they learn how to become absolute professionals because on the field's not the issue for Clayton. It's off, clearly. Yeah. Did you ever, like, as a senior player like yourself, did you ever have to do that for anybody or did you ever offer it to anybody who's young and probably losing their way a bit? No, I, I did live with a, a Josh Carr moving with for 12 months, but, um, yeah, it was different circumstances, clearly. But there have been instances where people have, you know, in our time, go around and pick up a guy for pre-season training so he's not like go around, um, do extra training in the off-season. Brendan Laid was brilliant with that, with organising training sessions um, three times a week in your off-season. Um, I didn't really like doing that because it was telling me where to be and what to do and when to train again. I like to sort of, hey, today's a beautiful day. I'm going to get on the bike. Or if it's rainy I'm not going, yeah, and windy, I'm not getting on a bike. I want to go and have a swim. You know what I mean? So there was those elements. But, yeah, there was always little bits and pieces to help people out. There were instances where um, you had some players, yeah, you know, I had some players stay over who were just drafted, you know, because quite literally you have a situation where you go, bang, oh, he got drafted. Oh, yeah, He's in Adelaide. Oh, his family's back in Melbourne. He doesn't have any stuff. They get straight on a plane. So they're those instances, but not longer term stuff. But I know that other players did over the journey. And yeah, you know, none better more recently, which has sort of got 
a bit of a claim publicly was that um, when uh, Sam Powell Pepper was having his challenges about three or four, maybe five years ago now, Travis spoke, he lived with him mm. um, to, to, to help the way. And it, it is commonplace around footy clubs and even more so nowadays. Yeah. Now we speaking of trade periodic still, um, there's probably some winners and losers early days. The Swans are looking really good for what they're about to do. Yeah. Well, if they can pull it off and it's Sydney, they'll find a way. Mm. Um, you look at why they get their business done. You look at their off-season, they go, well, Hickey's been a really serviceable ruckman for them. Geez, you know, what are they going to do? Well, Brody Grundy looks like he's coming in. That's an instant improvement on, you talk about potential to play well. Well, this is a two-time best and fairest, two-time All-Australian. Um, and it would have been potentially been a premiership player in 2018, had it not for being a, a Dom Sheed unbelievable goal from the boundary. So Grundy improves their ruck stocks. Hickey goes out. Joel Hamblin, who was a Western Bulldogs premiership player in 2016, people forget that, went back home west to Fremantle for five years. First three years worked wonderfully well. The last two years have sort of been the extra, which makes it hard when Cox... Um, and the skipper there who have done so well, playing well. Taylor Adams been offered a three-year deal. We know he's at GWS originally for the first couple of seasons, went to Collingwood, was unlucky to miss out in the premiership but had a hemi injury. Um, they've gone, well, hey, we'll go and offer him. He only got one year left uh, at Collingwood, so it looks like he's going to get a three-year deal. And James Jordan, who was a premiership player uh, in his first year, of AFL footy at the Demons. He's now had three years at 65 games, which is averaging. It's you know, 20, 20 mm. games a season. Um, so all of a sudden, if Sydney get in extra midfield depth, inside work to relieve Parker of all the heavy lifting uh, with Adams, Jordan to come in as that likely sort of extra midfielder. You know, you look at, you know, Heaney doesn't even get full-time midfield minutes. Um yeah, they've got a, a a wonderful midfield. And what I find really interesting in this situation, the last two premiership teams have been the most experienced and oldest lists in the AFL. Sydney got mm. to the grand final last year um, in the 2022 season, and they performed poorly on that final day. But you look at Warner, you look at all the young dynamic midfielders, they've got the youngest midfield in the comp, and then they're going to go and complement it with Grundy, Adams, and Jordan. Mm. They are a team that can seriously change direction. And then also with Paddy McCartan retiring for um, multiple concussions, Joe Hamblin comes in as another extra player. I think they're doing wonderfully well. And, you know, talk about your needs. They're ticking every need they've got. Throw in the talent they've already got on their list. It's going to be really special. And even to a stage that many years ago they planned for Buddy Franklin going, they go and get Logan McDonald from Western Australia. The kid's a genuine talent. And he Mm. kept Buddy out of the team this year before he got in. So, in talk about losing big names, they've transitioned unbelievably well. And if they can pull this off, I think they'll be the early winners. And, you know, for what their needs are at that time. 100%. Now, they're going to do some very good business. Um, another side that's going to be struggling a bit. Like, So, they've come off. They were in the finals. They looked impressive. They fell off a cliff this year. And now they're about to lose one of their players. Freo, what's going on with them at Lockie Shields? Yeah, well, Fremantle's a tough one to... to to follow, to be honest, because they've lost a few players over the journey. You know, you mm. remember they got Bradley Hill and got him in and he was going to be the running difference, played really good footy. I think he won a best and fairest. Then all of a sudden, you know, he wanted to return back to Melbourne and goes to St Kilda on a big deal. But, you know, you look at Lockie Schultz and he's a power pack little forward. He, he's a guy, I think he was rookie listed or, you know, mm. early days. 
Um, the way he plays, he plays with energy. And guess where he wants to go? The reigning Premier, Collingwood. Talk about mm. teams that pick off people with opportunities. You look at Mitchell this time last year. Uh, he's spoken recently about Hawthorne not, not wanting him. He'd been highlighted for what he didn't do. He felt his time was numbered. All of a sudden, he's arguably one of the best players on the ground in the grand final and has complimented to their list. And then they just manage it so well. So you look at um, Lockie Schultz, who's a Victorian, wants to go home. His last two seasons, he's played 23 games a year, right? Mm-hmm. And he's kicked 30 goals in 2022. He kicked 33 this year. And you go, geez, that's not huge. But he's pressure young forward, right? Mm. Pressure forward. He averages three tackles a game back in 2022, four tackles a game. So all of a sudden, Collingwood are going to, provide they can get this deal done, and they'll give up what they need to to get it done, Right. And you, you look at them losing Henry going, well, he's not worth, he was a first-round pick, he shouldn't get a second-round pick to Geelong. But they've replaced it. They've got Bobby Hill into the system, and now they're going to get this guy into the system who kicks a goal and a half a game and yep. four tackles a game into an elite as an elite pressure forward um, who, if you drop off, he can hit the scoreboard. So Collingwood looks like they're going to be hitting another target um, in the, in this trade period. Yeah, that forward line's going to look scary. Like Obviously, Bobby Hill, probably one of the best small forwards in the comp. Norm Smith medalist, and now to add Lockie Schultz, they're going to be dangerous again. Yeah, and it's a different look. There's no superstar forward there. You know, Cox mm. plays a role. My check's been brilliant when they're leading goal kicker the last what, three or four years, even maybe even longer, five years. Um, but they've just built, you know, and then they've got a dynamic midfielder so you can go forward. Dugowie can go forward, kick goals. You know, the day costs, you know, they're, they're going to be probably the team to beat on the, the bookies' early days. But um, it's amazing how the transformation in our AFL has happening. Like Don Pike was a senior coach. He was a dual mm. premiership staff for the West Coast Eagles. He was a um, had a very strong business background in mining. He was an ex-West Coast board member, then an assistant coach at West Coast, coach Claremont in his own right. Now is in Sydney as the right-hand man for the last few seasons um, for John Longmire in Sydney. Um, and now all of a sudden, uh, people in the world, West and I had a, a, a conversation with a pretty influential person in the West over the weekend and they said to me, nah, this is not joke. He would be the perfect bloke to take over from Trevor Nisbet at the West Coast Eagles. So here's wow. Don Pye, the Crows runner-up uh, coach, senior mm-hmm. coach. Then Adelaide imploded. They sacked him. All of a sudden, with um, him going off to Sydney, being earmarked for some senior roles, he hasn't gone through the process much. Um, and now he could be back as CEO of his own club where he played in two premierships in 92 and 94. This is a really interesting dynamic. Yeah. How does it sort of happen like that? That's like, because obviously we've seen David Noble do it like, similar as well, but this is insane. Like, do we think it's a good move, Travis? Yeah, I think it would be a good move because the business world is different to the coaching world. And, mm-hmm. you know, with the, the Adelaide stuff, there was clearly information around to say there was a disconnect. He was driving him pretty hard. He's a, he's a hard you know, he's a good, good coach, but he's also a demanding coach. And Anna was at a stage where they went all in, didn't quite work. Then they had the Crows camp. Then that was that a great idea? Was it not? All those bits and pieces that probably the off-field issues affect the on-field issues. But I, I got told on the weekend, West Coast wants a CEO, but they want someone who knows footy. So what better than a bloke who's coached footy, mm. involved in list management, been a senior coach, gone back in, learned his lessons, gone in, he's been an assistant coach, coached his own team at the waffle level, understands Western Australian football, understands Australian football, but also understands business when he's had his own mining and gas company, I think it was, with great success at West Coast Eagles. And he's also sat on the West Coast board. He ticks every box. And he's a West Coast boy. 
So mm. Trevor Nisbet's been there 7,000 years as CEO. <laughs> Look, well, he started yep. as a footy manager. I think it's 25, over 30 years at the Eagles. He's been a really good performer. <laughs> West Coast is the biggest club and the strongest club financially in the game. When mm. uh, It's well known that when COVID hit, they had more money in the bank than, than the AFL competition. Mm. So the Eagles would be smart to go, hey, let's go and get this guy. He knows Perth. He doesn't have to, you know, I think still got family members based over there, or that was the case when he was living here in Adelaide coaching the Crows. So he knows it. He's set up. He'd be the perfect one to hit the ground running. He doesn't have to meet new people or, you know, understand the city or see how it works. Like a lot of CEOs have to get the, the lay of the land. He hits the ground running day one. I think it'd be a great move. 100%. Now, into some probably sad news this could be. Uh, Nathan Murphy's future's in the hands of uh, the AFL's medical concussion panel. The R3 set for his 10th concussion in the grand final. He's only 23, Treaders. Yeah, well, this is amazing. And you talk about 10th con- concussion, that obviously includes junior levels and, and, and obviously, uh, what do you say, you know, under-18 levels and all that as he's leading to his AFL footy career. But, you know, there was a huge moment, wasn't it, in the grand final when um, both he and uh, Lincoln McCarthy went mm. 100% on for a 50-50 ball. He was clocked high, only not from a bump, just from McCarthy getting the ball slightly before him and being mm. over the footy, and he ran into his shoulder. But he, as you say, he's a 23-year-old. He was subbed out. It's his 10th concussion. Um, the AFL um, is expected soon from Stephen Mead, who's the AFL's general counsel, um, who's also overlooks the health um portfolio for the AFL. Um, this is the same, they'll make a ruling on this soon. Um, and this is the same panel that recommended that Sydney's Paddy McCartan to retire, which he'd recently done this year after previously suffering nine concussions in his career, including eight while playing at St Kilda. So this is could be devastating for Collingwood, but it could, more importantly, it's devastating for this player because um, mm. as has been reported after the game, he didn't drink. Uh, he was still um, suffering concussion uh, symptoms for a, a couple of days after. So, you know, it might be a sad case that he's played his last game as a premiership player at the age of 23. Um, and, and we all know this is a bigger piece of the puzzle in terms of uh, this discussion yesterday with some people is that what we knew many years ago, um, even doctors, you know, when your symptoms are okay and players were lying or whatever, they'd run back out there and feel fine. But we know that we know so much more than we do more recently. And, um, you know, I think the head has to become sacrosanct. I know the rules have changed significantly much to the ire of fans. And sometimes my frustration with the way the game is, there is also the element too that when you sign up to this, you know what you're getting. You are a Mm. footballer. You are potentially putting yourself at risk. Um, there are big litigations going. There have been huge payouts uh, over in the NFL, which the insurance uh, companies are left on the hook. The big challenge here is we've got two massive ones that are facing the AFL now. I suspect that the insurance companies will be paying out on those. Um, they will find a, an element of negligence because simply we've handled it. We're judging by a standard now that we didn't have many years ago. Mm. Um, and there is damages to people and it has affected their lives. Not everyone, but um, some people are in serious situations. And the insurance companies will be on the hook. The greater challenge then will be, okay, uh, who is then going to be able to insure the new premiums for contact sport? Mm. Will players have to sign waivers or will players have to be self-insured? That is a bigger challenge that faces people going forward. And the AFL has done not much in a long period of time, but more recently done a lot to mitigate this once more information has come on hand. 
Um, and, it, and it's an interesting situation. The reason why this has changed, many years ago, it wasn't deemed a workplace. Now, yeah. AFL football is deemed a workplace. It is a highly dangerous workplace. Um, arguably more dangerous than being a fighter jet um, pilot in a war. You know what I mean? Like, it's, <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, I know that might sound ridiculous considering what's going on at the moment, but, you know, the, 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 the likelihood of injuries happening, it happens all the time. There is mm. how many times have we seen, I'd love to know the exact numbers of the concussion rules this year. It'd have to be one a week at least, wouldn't it? Close to. At least so. one a week. On so that would suggest that on average that they're at a high risk. And yeah, the, the, this this is a, an area where previously, so no longer are footballers treated as footballers playing just a game they love, which they did, you know, and, and no one says to me, oh, yeah, I want to get paid. And some people say, oh, well, you, you take the risk. Absolutely, I get all that. But you're now being judged from someone who, who works building, you know, skyscraping buildings in New York. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? The risk level is high, just a different risk. Um, yep. Someone who plays with electric vaults and, you know, changes phone towers 200 metres above the whatever there is. You know, there, there's some, some really high-risk jobs out there. And, and really, when you look at it, as much as it is sport, take away the sport. Well, you've got collisions happening left, right, and centre at maximum speed. AFL is AFL footy is a high risk, and that's why it's been deemed a workplace, and that's why we've uh, the game is facing the challenges it's facing right now. Yeah, hundred percent. And we'll keep keep with Collingwood. Guernsey auction prices. Now, this was amazing. So I'll take you through a bit of a list, Shredders. Josh yeah. Dacos, his Guernsey went for sixteen thousand and twenty five dollars from the grand. So file. these Guernseys, right? So I suspect, from my knowledge on this, mm. right. Is that players will wear a couple of Guernseys, and you know there's yeah. probably maybe some more um, for blood rule. So effectively, you have one. If you get blood rule, you got to change your jumper, right? So mm. I know when I played many years ago, nine, ten years ago in the grand final, I used to change my Guernsey at halftime. One would be soaking wet and heavy, and then you'd swap over. So I suspect the players keep one, and the club yep. is auctioned off the other. So what yep. day cost sixteen grand? It's gone for an auction. Yep, that is for Josh Dacos. That is the yep. sixth highest. Wow. All right. So who else? So we've got Steel Side Bottom, 18275 Sounds like the price yep. is right here. Darcy yeah. Moore, 20025 Come on, Larry. I'm not get going. <laughs> Scott Pendlebury for 27 Jordan Degoe for 29 And Nick Dacos for seventy grand. For $70,000 for his Guernsey. You want some yep. perspective? Yep. Go on. Port Adelaide sold mine, not on an auction site like this, but mm-hmm. at the dinner at the Pope's Match Grand Final, while I still wore the... My second half one, my first half one got bought by memory by Tony Santic. Mm. And I don't know if you know horse racing. He was Maccabi Diva's owner at the time. Yep. And I think he paid by memory seven and a half or eight grand for mine. <laughs> Jesus. So you can go. But hey, the value of the dollar then bought you a lot more than you did here, mate. Come on. Yeah. House, pro- house prices back in the day were probably about 150,000 average, not a million like they are now. So I'll argue I might have beaten Nick Dacos. <laughs> I was going to say, we are not suggesting that you are one-tenth of the player Nick Dacos is. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. Um, but, yeah, that's amazing. When I saw that price, I thought, wow. I thought, jeez, some people have got a lot more credit than they used to have. But, no, it was just amazing how it's devolved and how much prices have gone through the roof. And, you know, and also, too, they'll you – know, Generational player. Last time Collingwood won one, twenty ten. Mm. Yep, lost one in what eighteen, but by a kick. But it just proves that, um, yeah, 
People will pay, won't they? People spend money. And 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 that is genuine sports memorabilia. You you can also get the panoramics that you sit down and sign. And I remember I sat down to have signed 1,500 on the Thursday after the grand final. Those big MCG panoramics. Um, As captain, you can sign other ones. As Norm Smith, Byron Pickett had to sign them. So you look at all that sort of memorabilia and there could be some serious cash made. Um, Anywhere between 30 and $100 a signature, you add it up, but it adds up pretty quickly. Um, But a club like Collingwood, they'd be absolutely killing it because they'll also put out the memorabilia Guernseys, which aren't match-worn. These are match-worn, we're talking about, where they'll Mm. sell probably 20,000 of the ones where everyone scribbles on a piece of um, cardboard. Uh, and then they put all the 20, what? How many players now? 23 players and a the coach, 23. 24 yeah. there. Um, so there is that. So there's elements of the uh, the memorabilia game. And um, she's 70 grand for a jumper. You'd hope it's the right one. <laughs> <laughs> you would, wouldn't you? Yeah, but Collingwood hasn't finished their jackets. They've done pretty well. Your worldwide home game attendances for 2023. You found this little bomb. How's this? Inter Milan, yeah. fifth, with 72,900 people per game. Yeah. Manchester United, 73,400. Mm. Bayern Munich, 75,000 a game. Collingwood, yeah. 77,659 oh, wow. per match on average. Talk about those bumper attendances, the Pies, eh? Never travel from the G. No one else holds 77,000, so we know where they're playing <laughs> lots. And the only one on top of them is Borussia Dortmund. Um, 81,365 fans per game. Unbelievable. Yeah, I think Collingwood also play, what, a couple of home games at Marvel this year too? Yeah, like, and then you play interstaters too. Yeah, and You that, don't pay yeah. a huge amount, but what certainly, they're probably obviously in that number includes the grand final games, the particip- uh, finals games they've participated in too. So if you look at those matches that have played, Collingwood GDR, GWS, I reckon, was almost 100. Melbourne was mm. maybe over 100, maybe just under 100. Um, they certainly bump up those numbers, but it's been and the grand final too, which is yeah, right on the knocker about a hundred thousand, hundred and two thousand, I think it was by memory. So that's great, great for the game yeah. and extra money through the turnstiles and the fans. The only thing we need to fix now is how many grand final tickets heaps the the, the um, contesting teams actually get for their fans. But hey, that's another discussion for another moment. Hundred percent. The Aussies got done in the cricket, but they also they're also done in the the Wallabies also done. Like this is. Not great, is it? No, it's not. It's This is the, the challenge. Well, they finished third because they lost to Fiji for the first time in the 50s, and we reported this last week or the week before. Mm. So you finish third in your group, you're eliminated. Any other sport or manager, coach in the world, you would be sacked. Eddie Jones would be gone. But I'm not so sure. You know, we, there was mm. reports, which is ridiculous, in a World Cup tournament that he'd actually met with Japan recently, because they love him in Japan, because his coaching record there is amazing. But mm. this is a bigger ramifications, because I remember back to 2003, Australia hosted it. I was in the UK, right? And they were going crazy, and they ended up winning it. They beat Aussie, yep. the Aussies in the final, I think at Stadium Australia. Um, Johnny Wilkinson was the, he was the kicker. He was dominating. Um, they won the tournament. Best team won. Australia... Yeah, they, they had a pretty good team there. They, they went went down in the final. But since then, we've just been so inconsistent. The decision-making has been horrendous. Um, mm-hmm. The Australian Rugby Union's TV rights deal with Channel 9, uh, which is obviously Stan Sport, is not getting the, the following that 
it used to command. Like you remember back in the day, Campisi early days, and you know, then you look at Phil War, who's actually involved still at the moment, John Eels. It was like the the upper crust of rugby in Sydney and around Australia, mm. wasn't it? There were rugby league blokes who just beat the crap out of each other, and then there was the pitch that they were the richer. More private school boys, and that <laughs> really come to play. You know, yeah, you, know, you look at the Wallabies with something Australia hung their hat on, but at the moment they can't say that, and they're no. facing a massive challenge here. Do you sack your coach, who's well known and well respected, and had great success wherever he is? The TV rights money is the viewership, the interest. They've got to get their ducks in the line, and I think the only one going worse than uh, the Wallabies at the moment is Netball Australia, and we'll get to that pretty soon. Yeah, but you know, good sir, the soccer's going well, but um. So we're looking at potentially bidding on the World Cup for 2034. And we've got until October 31 to lodge a confirmation of interest. But here's the thing. There's a lot of things that need to go right, Shredders. And the FIFA documents have stipulated that host nations must provide a few things. And what are those, Shredders? Well, where do you start? So as you say, October 31. Right now, Australia's got nine stadiums that hold crowds of more than 40,000, right? Which mm. five are oval? So there's the MCG Docklands in Melbourne with a roof, one roof, Perth Stadium, Adelaide Oval, SCG. Um, the others, obviously, Suncorp, you can play soccer on. You know, could you go to Metricon? Well, no, it's not called Metricon. The Gold Coast Stadium, yeah, but it's set up for Aussie rules. So mm-hmm. Fever has been pretty strict, and and this is where I reckon they're just pigeoning it into whatever they want. They know Australia can host. They've seen what happened is at the uh, Women's FIFA World Cup recently, and it was absolutely brilliant, right? So the documents, because of the, the men's attendances, are, and it's a, it's a bigger product, the Men's World Cup, than the, the, the women's, even though the women's was unbelievable and set all absolute records and huge growth. But mm. you need a minimum of 72 suitable base camp training sites, 72 Jeez. around your country. So even if we did bid with... New Zealand, you're going to have to find 72 suitable base camp training sites, right? And majority of teams that be set up would be based in Queensland, let's face it, New South Wales and Victoria. How many are going to want to be over in Perth on the other side of the country? Not many. Maybe Adelaide because the ability to travel quickly um, and they'll be all private jets anyway. Um, a minimum of 72 base camp hotels to go with those training sites within 20 minutes of the training site. So you look at Melbourne, where do you get to in 20 minutes? You have to stay in CBD and train at a base camp site. You know, what is that? Well, yeah, for, for but you need 72. Yeah, first one would be great. Amy Park would be fine. Yep, rectangular stadium. You're also bearing in mind too, this is why you got other sports, whether it's in the summer or it'd be in the winter, you'd be competing with AFL and a few other sports at the moment. So those access to those grains would have to be stipulated by the government. Each hotel must be a minimum four stars with at least 80 guest rooms. So, mm. wow, 80 guest rooms, I guess, is one team. So that's unbelievable. Four stars is not much um, cooking. You know, the players <laughs> want more than four stars. I've stayed in a four-star before at a fair income. You wouldn't be able to swing your towel without cleaning out a uh, a low-hanging light or hitting the door or the window in the same space. Um, a minimum of four team hotels and four training sites per competition venue. Two referee-based hotels and training sites. Just go for a run the park, ref, blow your whistle. Come on, you don't need that. Um, and then only five-star hotel 
per host city for FIFA VIP. So you know what this smells to me? Saudi Arabia's in the box seat and the mm-hmm. like. We know they're interested. You know, as we saw in Qatar, they had stadiums that were built. They had stadiums where they had plans on collapsing them. I'm not sure what happened with that. Um, Saudi Arabia currently has two stadiums, the capacity of 40,000, but plans to build three more, redevelop another four in time for the 2027 Asia Cup. 27 Asia Cup would be the precursor. Do they do that? Well, they'll end up getting this. Also, too, it's not yet clear whether Saudis were able to build enough stadiums to host the entire World Cup or would need to submit a joint bid with a neighbouring country, which we would see anyway. Um, mm. Also not clear is whether FIFA would accept Saudi's bid given it does not have the seven existing stadiums with a minimum capacity of 40,000. You know what I say with all this situation? Not that FIFA has ever been caught in a uh, betting scandal. I remember the last time Australia tried to bid, <laughs> we thought we had bids yep. lined up and we were all sorted, but nothing actually worked out. Also bear in mind too, um, what's happened with Saudi and, and world soccer. They put world soccer on the map. FIFA would have to be happy the fact that they've now got another competition that is starting to get legs, going to get eyeballs. Big names are playing for big money. That only helps the sport in an element. Um, and you also look briefly what what's happened with Ange Postecoglou. They sit equal top mm. of the Premier League with Arsenal. Their rivals um, haven't lost at the start of the season. They're calling him the magician, Big Ange. Um, that's the best league start for the Spurs since 1980. Um, yeah. And he's only four months into his contract. It's been an unbelievable setup. Without uh, the best, their best player as well, Harry Kane going to Bayern Munich. So he's done a very good job, Ange. And as a, as a gooner, I kind of hate to say it, but it is what it is. But we move so we on beat, to... We beat City, so we're happy for the first time ever. Oh, so good. So good. <laughs> but but Premier the Premier League's is... going crazy, mate. Yeah. Yeah, they're going nuts. The six $6 billion media rights plan. So they're looking for bigger packages and fewer broadcasters. So the Premier League will soon take bids on new domestic media deals to start in 2025. And currently Sky Sports, TNT Sports and Amazon Prime video show matches in the UK. But it's all, but they're looking up how to switch its UK fans to watch matches on a weekly basis. Because it is apparently really hard to watch it over there. And it's... They're not happy. They hate it. We actually have it easier here to watch Premier League matches than they do. Yeah, they have a big mix, don't they, between pay, streaming, uh, free. You get some games that are okay. Certain leagues with different people because they'll have the League Cup and the FA Cup and the Premier League all with different broadcasters. It gets messy. And as we said, but um, they're bringing in more than the $6 billion in uh, over the life of the three-year deal ending 25. But the EPL... Uh, Appears like many, and and particularly maybe because the Saudi League has taken away a little bit of the shine of the Premier League. When I say a little bit of the shine, some of the big blokes have just got up and left and taken extra cash. Does it move on? Well, another one gets an opportunity, as we've seen the Premier League season has been bloody brilliant and different so far, not just Man City dominating everyone. Um, You know, the fact that Tottenham's back amongst it, Arsenal hasn't been a one-hit wonder as of yet. Chelsea's continuing with their challenges. They're facing Man U have been up and down. So it's been probably more competitive than it's been in any period of time. But Mm. as you'd understand from the EPL, they'd want to extend their deal to four years and have fewer broadcasters. Um, This has sort of been a bit of a trend at the moment too, because if we look at saying, hey, we want to have a sizable increase on our rights deals, which everyone does. The AFL's just done the same thing with Fox and uh, Channel 7. But it could be more feasible with longer, more lucrative contracts, lock them in for a longer period of time. And we've seen this strategy roll out in the US with the NFL, the Big Ten Conference will continue to expand their partnership scopes. And 
let's face it, you know, the, the way things are, you look at, across the pond, the English Premier League, NBC's begun its second broadcast deal with the Premier League. Premier League didn't even rate 10 years ago in in uh, the US. Now, mm. all of a sudden, they're paying $2.7 billion for a recent six-year deal. When that deal will expire in 2028 in the US, the EPL and English Footy League are exploring the idea of bringing, selling overseas media rights together. So, wow. and and and... Remember last week when we talked, we talked that the F ones uh, are looking at going. Hey, we don't want fifty thousand deals. One with Australia, one with Asia, one with the, uh, America, when another one with Australasia, and another one with Eastern Europe. All these bits and different deals to manage and different broadcasters for two years, ten years, five years, whatever it is. Um, yeah. Apple have come in and said, "We'll pay you double, and we'll take everything." So yeah. effectively, all they do is they go, "Okay, we'll put it on Apple Streaming." Apple TV, and this is our worldwide fee. You pay that in US dollars, which converts to Aussie dollars, dollars to pesos to, I don't know, whatever, euros, currencies <laughs> all around the world, Iraqi dinar. <laughs> just just like listen of currencies. Vietnamese dong. So whatever fee you pay worldwide, you pay it to access on your Apple TV. And you go, wow, so they sweep up everything. There'll be a premium, obviously, with that. That's why they're saying we'll pay double. Maybe... The EPL, as we said before, concerned about the Saudis' interest because their broadcast rights will certainly go up. Imagine if they could sell off to one big beast worldwide and have them own everything. With that becomes more money, exclusivity, dealing with one partner instead of dealing, as you say, with 15 different people in the different parts of the world with different deals and in and out and who and where. And I think the coverage would be a hell of a lot better. 100%. Couldn't agree more. And Real Madrid, they've uh, also got their own sort of media rights situation going on. Yeah, they have. And they've always been that team that everyone accuses selling out. You know, anyone mm. who just watches the uh, Netflix docker on the Beckham sees how it was all done about revenue. And I think he said that he tripled revenue when Beckham came to Real Madrid. Mm. It was unbelievable what it meant. It wasn't probably the best sporting um, decision because they had Luis Figo, who was a world player of the year, superstar Portugal wingman winger playing the same position Beckham did. So they had two players playing out of position. Um, yep. But Real Madrid for once has said, you know what? They sit at top, top of the La Liga after eight matches this season and they've foregoed a massive chunk of dollars. So they're talking about their share of $137 million. And when I talk about this is, you know, we know that they're the biggest name with Barcelona and yeah, you know, they are the biggest team in the world, Real Madrid. They have huge media deals right all over the globe, including 5.6 billion domestic pack with Movistar and Dan Danzon, I think it is the website, and 1.4 billion contract with ESPN for the US rights. So they sell off their own rights. They also have a 30 million dollar deal with EA Sports, obviously with gaming. Yeah, you know, with all this influx of revenue, you could. Be forgiven for them selling out and, and, and cashing in. But the La Liga, which is the competition in Spain for people who don't follow, have been trying to incentivize their clubs to be more open and transparent, more better media access, allowing fans to get those better behind the, the look docos. Right? So we mm. all see it. I know Arsenal, our old team, did it. There's a few others have done it over the journey. And you go, the AFL's done it closer to home here. And you go, oh, that's really good insight. So there's 19 teams of the 20 comp, top 10 La Liga <laughs> comp who've signed up. Guess who has it? Real Madrid. Yeah. Yep. So since the beginning of the season, the club hasn't allowed the extra cameras and microphones near their coaches or players. It's cost the team about $14.2 million, their share, 
uh, of the initiatives, 137 million. I got two thoughts straight away. All right, there's a sporting mm-hmm. element where Real Madrid um, manager Carlo Ancelotti says, "I would prefer to accept a pay cut for it not to come in." Clearly, it'd be a distraction. Right, cameras everywhere yeah. here, unless you could just see GoPros. Even when you walk into a room with a camera, you go, oh, that's right, they're filming. So there's that element, the sporting element. But there's also, I suspect, that if Real Madrid goes, hey, we're going to let cameras in, we're the main team. Mm. You only want to get in and see us in Barcelona and a few other players. Why aren't we getting 100 million of the $137 million plot? <laughs> so stay tuned for that one. But I like for once, someone's just not taken the cash even though I think this is probably a negotiating uh, tactic. Yeah, they're trying to take more cash elsewhere. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Smart by them. Um, Speaking of uh, cash, Tom Brady and the Las Vegas Raiders, this is interesting. So his purchase of a minority stake in the Las Vegas Raiders hasn't advanced much more since it became public in May, and it doesn't look like it'll be approved in the near future because of how how, um, how much of a discount he's getting. So the Raiders are valued at $6.2 billion by yeah, yeah. But Brady agreed to purchase 10% of the Raiders at 70% off. So it would be $434 million discount. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Smells, it smells like a rat here. No wonder it's not going to get through. Yeah. No, sounds real dodgy. So, yeah, it was looking like um, Raiders owner Mark Davis was selling Brady between 5 and 10% of the team. But... Um, yeah, however, Davis reportedly may be giving the former Patriots star a discount, which is as much as 70%. That's outrageous. Yeah, well, obviously coming into that deal, he's going, well, yeah, I'll pay you a certain amount of cash, but if you want to use my name and have me as an owner, there's got to be a value to it. But as they say with a lot of these deals, it needs to be fair and transparent, and it needs to be signed off on a lot of the different um, uh, NFL clubs mm. to get it through. Um, and then I think that's where they're sitting there right now going, hang on. You're giving away for nothing. You're diluting our value. This is what it's worth. But um, talk about this is what it's worth. There's an, another race going on. We know Adidas. We know uh, Nike have been fighting for years, but this has taken mm. it to a new level. We reported about how um, Nike, um, sorry, Adidas had this super shoe. Where, mm. um, and, and this time it's Nike's super shoe. So they're both coming out with super <laughs> shoes with marathon runners breaking world records. So Kenya's Kelvin Kipton shattered the men's world record to win Sunday's Chicago marathon in two hours and 35 seconds. Last time I started checking these times, it was two hours, 10 minutes, two hours, eight minutes, two hours. So this is two hours and 35 seconds. While Dutch mm. runner Sifran Hassan won the second fastest women's time in history. Kipton crushed the old world record of two hours, one minute and nine seconds to win the 2022 Berlin Marathon, wearing a prototype Nike shoe this time as the company's war with Adidas escalates. Kip Tam and Hassan both wore their prototypes, which the World Athletics has approved for development under use of Nike Dev, I assume that's Devolution 163. Mm -hmm. Whilst the mystery surrounds the actual details of what is in this super shoe, how much it weighs and what it's really worth, it's seen as Nike's next version of the Alpha Fly, which is Adidas, which is the best answer to their Adizero Adios Pro Evo One. Which, Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Tajist Afisa obliterated the world's world record in Berlin, Berlin last month. And there was word around that that shoe was worth about 800 bucks. So, yep. yeah, all of a sudden, it's not only a fight of. Um, whether Lionel Messi's Adidas is as good as Christian Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo's Nike, it's now turned into the um, 
the runners of the world. Super shoe. What a what a world we live in, Treaders. And meanwhile, Super Netball's still uh, in all sorts. Um, players are taking to social media with the hashtag Fight for Fair, while uh, Netball um, Australia claimed its public release of details was a move to communicate directly with players, and it's been met with a swift response from athletes who uh, yeah, took to social media in droves on Monday night with that hashtag. And yeah, they're not happy. Not well, they shouldn't be parts. happy. Like, let's be honest. If you're a netball player, you haven't been paid since the end of September. Yeah, so, no, I wouldn't be happy. You know, that's what two, nearly two weeks um, without pay, and, and this is the bit that's ridiculous. Like, obviously, there's a netball um, players' association officials who are dealing with this, and mm-hmm. any of these types of um, negotiations should stay quiet. But as we we know, the, this stuff is getting out. Netball's obviously balance sheet's not great, but if they think that netball, Super Netball and Netball Australia go, hey, to get the latest Super Netball comp up so we can start planning, recruiting, all this sort of stuff, why would you release it to the public? To think that your players' association is not representing their needs, that's crap. Um, mm. Yeah, even if there was stuff that hasn't been told to the players, it's because they don't feel that it's worthwhile telling to the players just yet whilst the negotiation is on. So, And, and as the players have come out, uh, under the protect and respect um, collective bargaining agreement position. They're saying we're disappointed Netball Australia has rejected a real partnership model of the game. Our requests have been very modest and tailored to the challenges facing the game. They're effectively saying, like many, if the game goes up in revenue, we share that. If the game goes mm-hmm. down, we share that. And the challenge yep. is right now. Um, and then what Netball Australia is pretty much coming out and saying, we've offered a three-year deal uh, through to the 30th September 26, running in parallel with the current uh, Fox two agreements, so they've got a broadcast agreement, but they haven't mm. got a play deal. That that's just ridiculous. I can understand if you didn't have a broadcast agreement, you couldn't get a play deal. But this that's the major source of, you know, yes, yeah, partly everything. funding and revenue, but that's the main one. If you didn't have that, like a lot of sports, then you'd be going, geez, what are we going to do? You know, they're saying that players can enter into one, two, and three year contracts. This is the offer. Annual increase of 3% guaranteed base salary, private health insurance contributions based on uh, the high threshold of the previous year's uh, 22% increase, 3% of maximum salary cap increase. Players receive 25% of the league's generated profits. That's where the AFL was many years ago when I was playing. After Netball Australia remains, uh, they want to retain the first half a million dollars. Uh, an increase to the minimum base salary. Uh, in 2024 of 10% to 44 grand, then annual increases uh, for the three-year term of 3%, increase the additional Part A caps and improvements uh, of third-party agreements. As they're saying, an issue will increase of 10% in the both nominated athlete honorarium and weekly payments, uh, 3%, introducing rookies, whereby one nominated training partner per club is eligible selection outside of the injury protocols. So uh, effectively saying they've, they've increased they've increased it a lot, but there's mm. still no deal. You know what I say? Your best chance of getting a deal is to get in the same room, nut it out, and don't talk to the media and don't let us all know about it. Tell us what you've decided after. Because right now, with a situation where we went to a World Cup, won the World Championship, but beforehand they tried to put a proviso, if you sign this new pay deal, you can represent Australia. No, that no. just doesn't work. That's poor business practice. And these are the same people that rejected Gina Reinhardt's money and took up the Victorian government's money because they said Gina Reinhardt effectively should apologise for what her dad said 20 years ago. Her her dad said 20 years ago. Mm. Something 
her late father isn't in a position to take back and she didn't say it so why should she need to apologize this is just baffling how they've been with this yeah, netball Australia and a bit of all sorts and hopefully they can get it sorted because we need our netballers firing but that's all we have Treaders um, been a lengthy wrap but yeah it's a very good one so tune in like subscribe and um, catch you next week thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Big Deal before you go don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals breaking sports biz news as it happens and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.